0: Welcome to the growing your financial business, the woman's way podcast. I'm Robin Crane and I was a financial advisor for over a decade. But before that, I was a singer songwriter and now even as a mom of three with a teenager, toddler and a baby, I run a seven figure business helping women in financial services grow their businesses and make a bigger impact. In this podcast, I'll bring you financial advisors, industry influencers and highly successful entrepreneurs to give you innovative strategies designed for women. So get ready to learn how to get in front of the right people, get more ideal clients and be able to grow your ideal business so you can live your ideal life. Welcome to the Growing Your Financial Business, the Woman's Way podcast. I'm Robin Crane. I was checking to make sure my light was on. Okay, good. Um, We're here with Victoria Bogner. And I was just like still laughing because I was like, don't tell me too much. Like I don't like to know too much because I like it to be real. But Victoria is the CEO of Affinity Financial Advisors, also the money manager, which is really cool because I feel like when I was a financial advisor... (laughs) I didn't know how to manage money at all. So the fact that you can manage a company and clients and actual money to help people grow is really great. In 2018, 40 honoree, did I say that right? Honoree. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, so I don't know if you know anything about Passover, but like I'm Jewish. And in Passover, you have to like pass around and read like parts of, you know, I pass around, but you, you have to read part of the story and it makes me so nervous. So I typically don't like to read and here I am again. So tell us about you. So I don't have to read about your amazingness. And I know you have a multimillion dollar company and you've been featured all over the place. Tell us a little about your background, how you got here. And then we want to dive into actually retention and getting more referrals. Sounds great. So Uh, I have a little bit of
1: a unique story or maybe not so unique with people listening to this. I grew up in a small town in Kansas. It was just me and my mom, you know, grew up in a trailer park. So I certainly didn't have a lot of, you know, like, People showing me exactly what to do to become successful, you know, but my mom was amazing putting food on the table. But I was the first person in my family to go to college and I majored in mathematics, computer science, uh, got a minor in Japanese because my dream was to be, was to work for the NSA actually as a cryptologist. (laughs) And then I got married and that doesn't really jive with a government job. So. I moved with my husband to Lawrence, Kansas. I got hired to be an actuary, actually, and I was waiting for that job to come around. And uh, this story is going somewhere. If it seems random, we're building a house in Gardner. I'm on the which edge is of my seat, Victoria. It's so, far.
0: It's so far, we're building a house you in another town. Ten- the non-math part of me, which is. My- yeah.
1: So I just think it's such a cool story because it's such a, you know, it's a God thing. I'm a Christian, so it's a God thing. So anyway, uh, we were building a house in Gardner. It was three weeks late being built. We were getting kicked out of our apartment in Lawrence because College Town. We were going to be homeless for three weeks. So Wayne and Judy McDaniel, who founded this firm, went to our same church. They heard about our plight, had no idea who we were, but they said, why don't you move into our basement for three weeks? Uh, Didn't really have a choice because we were being, you know, we were getting kicked out of our apartment. So we moved in with these strangers and they said, you know, we're having some database issues. You have this computer science degree. How about you come in and as a temp? and help us clean up our database. And I said, sure. Uh, so I came in and tempt with them and they said, you know, you should really stay, say no to that actuary job and just stay and work for us. And I said, okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I started as a temp, uh, Perfect. at this company and then worked my way up. Now I'm the CEO. So, when, you know, was just...
0: that. give me the timeframe here. That was back in 2005, fall of 2005. Okay, 2005. So, wow. Yeah. Years. And then you worked your way up. Uh, how big was the company back then? Because I would say worked your way up the corporate ladder, but it doesn't sound like it was <laughs> Yeah, right. it's not, it wasn't like a 500-person company. Right. So,
1: they had at that time three or four advisors and five or six staff. And Wayne McDaniel, who was the current CEO and money manager, he was starting to phase out over the following five to 10 years. So I stepped into his shoes basically over that time frame.
0: Okay. So you became CEO of McDaniel
1: Knutson come in. So Pete Knutson is another owner of the okay. firm. He's the
0: president of the company and I'm the CEO. Yeah. Got it. And then you also have Another arm, which is Affinity Financial Advisors and bring on other advisors.
1: Affinity is the brand we use to actually bring advisors onto our RIA platform, which is really cool because we have in-house compliance. We have all the money management. We have all the stuff you need. So the advisor literally just has to advise. We do everything else. It's I love that. I love that thing. because
0: I'm constantly talking to people at firms. I'm not going to talk about negatively about any firms, but some firms that where their compliance is extremely strict, where they've never like been able to really use social media was like, welcome to the times, man. And then they also have to start from scratch and still like how they're giving away half the pie anyway. With so ridiculous. Like, like, yeah. Pie. I, Cause I doubt, you know, at an RA firm, like they're have, having to give away half the pie. So well, let's talk about, there's so many things and we already anticipate probably doing a, another podcast episode because there's so many things I could ask you, but let's focus on the retention and getting referral side because you're great at that. You have systems for it. And I think like the fact that you have systems for actually growing the business is amazing because so many people rely on referrals, but they don't have systems to actually create referrals. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So, first of all, when it comes to actually getting referrals from clients, you have to differentiate yourself. And it has to be more than just look at your performance statement or look at this generic financial plan that we put together for you, right? Because that's the bare bones of what you would expect a financial advisor to do. So, what I try to teach my advisors when they're coming on board is to say, okay, yes, that's all very important. And that's an integral part of your job. But another integral part of your job, besides just forming relationships with these clients, that's also key, is to teach them about themselves. You have to teach your clients about the psychology behind why they're feeling what they're feeling, why they're making the decisions they're making, so that then you can point them toward a truer North Star. You can help them pick whatever mountain it is they want to climb. And then you are literally, Literally, their financial Sherpa. You are helping them get to the top of that mountain. And you, if you've been in the business long enough, have done this hundreds of times. They are only doing it once. So they really need you by their side. And part of that is educating them, not just about here's a stock and here's a mutual fund, but about themselves. And when you do that, they feel so incredibly empowered. And it's something that they want to talk about with their friends, like, oh my gosh, did you know this? Did you know you're hardwired to make horrible financial investment decisions? (laughs) And how to overcome that? So it really starts to set you apart from the other financial advisors down the block cuz there are when a
0: you lot of tell them they suck at investing they love you it's amazing but it's funny because the truth also empowers people i think knowing those shortcomings and knowing that your heart is in the right place to serve not just to say oh you suck at this not not that you would oh, ever no, say that and that, not- and that like- is not coming out of your mouth victoria that's coming yeah, out of
1: mine You soften that a little bit, but it's true of everyone. It's true of me, you know, I fall into some of those biases, but if you don't know what the biases are, you can't be guarding yourself against them, right? So here's the whole process that I, that I walk my clients through and you can totally steal it. Okay.
0: Yes. I love
1: that. I really highly recommend this book. It's called the geometry of wealth by Brian Portnoy. So grab yourself a copy of this book. I think I read it in one sitting. It was so good. But part of what I teach my clients is you have Two parts of your brain. It's not the left versus the right. It's the fast versus the slow. So you have your fast brain. It's your autopilot. It's always on. It's quick. It's automatic. It's continuously monitoring your environment. This is the part of your brain that is the fight or flight or freeze, right? If it senses danger, then it's going to run from it. And that's why when you lose money, it's twice as painful than when you make money. And that is why clients tend to buy high and sell low, which is exactly what you don't want them to do, right? So this part of your brain, it loves consistency, but it is a poor decision maker. So that's what you have to realize about that fast brain. Then you have your slow brain. That's when you go into manual control. You're literally paying attention. When you use your slow brain, you can almost feel your brain shifting gears when, you know, if I were to ask you, is the room you're sitting in comfortable right now, you'd be able to tell me right away, yes or no. But if I were to ask you how many letters are in the word hamburger, you have to stop and think about it for a minute. That's your slow brain gearing up. So it figures out complex problems, it's impulse control, it's intentionality, deliberate action and conscious decision makings. So when somebody opens up their portfolio statement and sees it's down 15%, the fast brain, the automatic brain immediately reacts. They freak out. Oh my gosh, I need to sell. I can't take this pain. You're teaching them, okay, that's your fast brain. And that's normal to feel that, but you need to engage The slow brain, the manual control, the one that's making conscious decisions. And that's what's so important. So then we also teach them about very popular biases, right? Like, for example, that the information that they already know is more important to them than the information that you would give them. They bias toward information that they've found themselves or that what they currently hold, they feel more confident about than stocks or mutual funds that they don't currently hold. You get this kind of bias with people who own way too much company stock. And you're trying to tell them, 80% of your portfolio can't be in your, your company stock. We need to divest some of this. So teaching them about those biases, how their brain works is so important. And then setting the expectations of your portfolio is going to go down. Successful investing is painful successful investing is painful that if you're experiencing some anxiety, that probably means you're doing it right, <laughs> right? Because your portfolio is going to go up and down. It's just the nature of the beast. But over the long term, even if all you do is just sit there and hold it, you're way ahead of the game, way ahead. The average investor makes slightly above inflation over the last 20 year time frame. Which is sad. And it's all because they're buying high, they're selling low. And then what do they do? They wait until they're comfortable to get back in the market, which is almost always higher than where they got out. That's the problem.
0: That's amazing. So, wait, is that from Geometry of Wealth? This
1: is, it's partly from Geometry of Wealth. And then there's another book, Thinking Fast and Slow and I'll get you the name of who wrote okay. that. It's, it's escaping it. me. But yeah, it's just a culmination of the okay. behavior. So
0: brain. when you go through, so your process is educate. First, we got to educate. educate. We tell educate. them about those three things. There's two parts of the brain. I've took notes, uh, fast and slow. There's the popular biases and then setting the expectation. Did I get that right? Yes. Okay. Then, then what's next? Then we
1: walk through, okay, you need to figure out What is important to you? So I I literally ask them, what is your definition of wealth? And they have to kind of sit there and think about it for a moment. Uh, Being rich, having a lot of money, being rich and being wealthy are two entirely different things. Rich people are the ones that are always trying to keep up with the Joneses and get more accumulation just for the sake of having more money. Wealth at its basis definition is funded contentment. So what is that sense of contentment for you? And this is another education point for clients. There are three parts to your sense of well-being, your natural disposition, your circumstances, and then basically your force of will. And I ask them, what do you think is the percentage that drives your sense of contentment for just your natural sense of well-being. You know, are you a naturally happy-go-lucky person? Or are you a naturally like a realist that's really pessimistic about life? Where do you fall? It turns out that 50% of your sense of well-being is just your natural disposition. It turns out that your circumstances, 10%. So if you're always thinking to yourself, I'll be happy when? No, you won't. That's 10% of your sense of well-being. That leaves 40% that is like, your force of will, which is kind of comforting in that if you're getting down on yourself for being the way you are, please don't. That's mm-hmm. <laughs> just your natural, you know, sense of well-being. But you, 40% of you can control your sense of contentment. Okay, it's not 100%, but it's a good chunk. And 10% is your circumstances. There were people in Auschwitz that found joy. OK, so your circumstances can't drive your sense of contentment.
0: Let me ask you something about that. So natural disposition. I mean, that we're saying you're born with that, right? I mean, you just exactly. you, you the, the glass is half empty or half full. Mm-hmm. And we're so it's interesting because I feel like I like this because my force of will, I feel like for me, it's more than 40%. I don't know. I mean, you're using stats like they're like, this is one and done, but I'm like, there's Robin pre personal development. Right. And there's Robin post personal development. Like, and I think my natural disposition is pretty happy, like typically, but I also like my upbringing was very much like what's not working you know, what's wrong here, you know? And so I think because of that, like, so I don't know if that's my natural disposition, but like that's, that would be more my upbringing, right? So I don't know if that's my circumstance either. So how does that all all fall together? Because I'm like, My parents definitely see what's, my mom's a very nervous Nelly. She's very worried all the time, you know, and I kind of used to be like that. And then I went through personal development and personal growth and like, I did a lot to work on myself and improve myself. And now like, I'm all about the law of attraction. I believe that we control and, and create everything. Maybe not control, but create everything. And so I feel, and I have like the best life ever, like, because like, that's my force of will. So I'm like, I'm like 90% like circumstances <laughs> like hell, but I'm like, I, I mean, my natural disposition I think is pretty decent, but like, I also feel like before I did personal growth, I was very negative. Mm. I don't know if that's natural or not, or that was circum, maybe that was circumstantial because I was struggling as a financial advisor. What do you got to say about all of that? Like, should I lay down on the couch back here? <laughs> Well, I'm sure it
1: varies from person to person. That was a scientific study that was done. It was really interesting because they, you know, you have twins, identical twins that were separated at birth. And yet they had the same type of natural disposition regardless of their circumstances,
0: which was interesting. But certainly, My I goodness, mean, I would I love. love to back <laughs> up on the twin thing because I'm really interested in this too. And I know I'm veering because we got to get back to retention to again. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, interesting. So I know twins. And one is like, taller than the other and one ha- like I don't know and one one is Are gay, they identical they're twins they're identical twins one's gay okay. one's straight so how does that happen like I mean like I, I don't really and you're a Christian I don't know I'm very cool with that but I'm just saying like how, how does that stuff happen so and then the na is that a natural disposition okay we're getting way too yeah. wow that the, yeah
1: this is very that's, interesting that's yeah because it's like okay well how much of that came about from circumstances but they were or, not
0: separated at birth. they were not right they're in the same birth. family so that's yeah. really really interesting. So okay, get back to me on that one. We'll leave that one as a cliffhanger. unless Yeah. You're... Well, I would
1: love, I mean, this is getting in the weeds, but I would <laughs> love to hear your personal story because it sounds fascinating. And you know, I grew up with, you know, a family on both sides that have anxiety, struggle with anxiety and depression. And mm-hmm. so it was very much for me. I mean, my faith is huge, right? So I just, put it all at the feet of Jesus pretty much is like, he's the one that saved me because otherwise I wouldn't be able to be where I am. I would be a statistic.
0: It's so funny that I happened to tell you at the beginning that I'm Jewish and like, now we're getting into this. stuff so like crazy, but um, yeah, go on, go on. So yeah, that, it sounds like for you,
1: you were able to really pull yourself up by your bootstraps and say, I am not going to stay where I am. I'm I going mean,
0: to look, change. like maybe I'm over exaggerating because like I had an, a, like very simple childhood. Like when I met my husband, he was in the process of declaring a $2.2 million bankruptcy. Like everything out of his mouth was like some, you know, adversity story. And I'm like, really that happened to you? Like, so he was broke. Like he had struggled. He was home. He called himself home free, but he was homeless. And I mean, really a very, very attractive, right? Like, Oh yeah, you're true winners. I'm someone I've always been looking for. And for me, it was like, you know, my biggest challenges. And I mean, we were middle class, like middle, maybe upper class, like living in the Bay area in California, like pretty much like had life easy you know and the only real like big challenge i had is that i felt stupid because i wasn't in the gifted program when i was a kid like oh. like this is my big like challenge in life i this wasn't in where the you are now program. i'm so gifted now i don't know i had to pay people to to make me gifted. <laughs> But I mean that's so it's not like I had a struggling upbringing. I'm just wondering, and I, I mean I was a happy kid, so I don't think my disposition was like anything bad. But I just remember, so maybe it was more the circumstance. But when I first started as a financial advisor, I remember just my viewpoint on life was very much things were happening to me, not for me, which is very different mm-hmm. how I think now. I think everything's happening for me, and I feel like that it's just it was a struggle, and I was constantly looking at what what wasn't working and constant and negative. So. I think that's really interesting, but let's get back to the topic because people <laughs> want to hear how to actually retain clients and get more referrals versus me talking about um, my challenges and laying down on the couch and, and having you stroke my no, head. I, for one, would love to hear about that. But yeah, when it comes down to then
1: talking with clients about, okay, what is your sense of purpose and what is your definition of wealth? Because that's what it really boils down to as far as figuring out how they're going to find what makes them the most content and joyful and purposeful in life. And especially walking through this with people who are going to retire in the next five years, because there are four categories. And again, I'm pulling from these scientific studies, but feel free to, to disagree. Four,
0: As I t- have, apparently. <laughs> Well, personal circumstance is meaningful, yeah, I mean, right? Yeah. I'm not a very scientific person. <laughs> science, and math, and I'm
1: like, I, I yeah, stuff. I like read quantum physics in my spare time. So I'm very
0: nerdy uh, under all of this. Awesome. Very nerdy. Okay, okay, tell me the next thing. This is so, <laughs> so there. Are four and and parts. let me just sorry. Let me just yeah. give this frame for them so they know why this is so important when it comes mm-hmm. to retention. When you start off a relationship with a client in this way, where you provide tremendous value upfront to yes. a point where they understand themselves, which is what you said to begin with, where, and there's a very systematic way of doing this because this is very, very different of what I would teach. And, and, you know, we can get into that, but that's, it's very different, but you're giving them a lot of education. You're giving them like an understanding of who they are and who people are and how people work to get mm-hmm. them to a stage where it's already valuable. Even if there's not much else to it. Like, and I'm sure there's a lot more to it, but like you're starting with value. So we already know that the more value you provide, the more likely it is that you're going to retain your clients and of course be more likely to get referrals. So that's obvious, but I want to tie it in so they know what the heck we're talking about. Okay, Can yes. you give, me, give me the next one and then we'll- Exactly. We'll okay, we'll so, on. and I know that
1: we're- <laughs> Like going several rabbit trails but the next thing that's so important is there are four parts of your life that you need to figure out in order to find your sense of contentment and that is control so how much do you want to direct your life competence, that's having mastery over something. And those two parts are your inner life. Then there are the two parts of your outer life, connection, your sense of belonging, and then context, which is wrapping all that around so that you have a sense of purpose. So walking clients, especially people who are about to retire or people who have just lost their job because we put so much of our identity in that, helping them figure out how they want to control their lives where they want to find competence, how they want to find connection, and how to put that in context. And there's a whole, you know, I could talk for another hour on just that piece and how to bring clients to a sense of feeling like, yes, I am engaged in my life, I am purposeful in the decisions that I'm making, And those things then drive the actual goals. So, for example, if they're like, I, you know, the sense of belonging involves I want to belong to this golf club, you know, or this networking group or whatever the case might be. Now we're starting to connect money with purpose because Money is what it takes, whether we like it or not, money is what drives all of these things in our lives. And we want to have control over it, not it having control over us. And we want it to work for us, because we have spent so much time working for it, right? So once they figure out those four areas, we can figure out the goals, knowing that the goals are gonna change, they themselves as people are gonna change over time. But if we can at least find that truer North Star, like I said, then we can start to work towards something purposeful in their actual investment plan and their profile. Because if you don't have a plan, an investment plan, it's not investing, it's speculating. So you want to have a very solid investment plan. I call it an investment policy statement for each client, the IPS. So then when they start to get nervous or things aren't always going up, We can refer back to behavioral finance, the IPS, their goals. We have all of these touchstones that we spent so much time going through, valuable, meaningful time. And I'm telling you, once you've gone through all of that with client. And then you're meeting with them on a regular basis to update those things, to remind them of those things. And by the way, we all know this as advisors, we're so much more than advisors. We're counselors, we're therapists, we're punching bags, we're all of these things wrapped into one. We're the one that delivers the soup when they're sick, right? So when you form that kind of relationship with the client, they will not leave you it is just the most amazing retention strategy because no other advisor i'm telling you is going to go through this with them like you do so at that point then when their friends start to talk about their you know portfolios or their advisor you are just the first thing on their mind because they have gone through this incredible process of not only figuring out their investments but figuring out themselves and that is so incredibly valuable and they're not going to get that from anywhere else unless they themselves have a therapist (laughs) but generally it's us right (laughs) so we fill those shoes and that's how then you get retention referrals But I will say the other thing that has been huge with this is finding prestige for yourself. So how you find prestige, something that's really helped me is joining this totally free. So this is my number one tip of the podcast. Go to help a reporter out. So just do a Google search. Yeah. Help a reporter out. Sounds like you've heard of it. Yeah. but you can sign up to be a source. And three times a day, you will get pitches from people looking for sources that you can respond to. And that's how you can get in the Wall Street Journal and, you know, Associated Press and all of these places that bring you tremendous prestige. So then your clients literally are bragging about you to their friends. So that's, how it all
0: comes together, boom. and we're we getting... a boom! Like yes, that was, good. Boom. that was amazing. That was amazing. So first of all, I got a, I got a question. This is very very serious. You can tell by my face if you can see it. How long does all this take? Is that one <laughs> meeting?
1: <laughs> so it depends on the client because some of them have thought about this a little bit, and some of them have never thought about this at all. Especially if there are two people, if there's a sp- you know, a husband and a wife, sometimes they've never talked about, wait a minute, what are our goals? What is our purpose? I have no idea. So part of it is you're meeting with them and you're coaching them. Usually in the first meeting, I'm just going through hey, if you decide that you want to work with me, this is what it's going to look like. And then within that hour, we're talking about, you know, tell me your biggest challenges, your biggest fears. The more you're willing to share with me, the better I can help you. So that's really a gauge of how much that's are we going to trust you go
0: into each other. That other stuff? That's before you teach each other? That's things? before. Well, oh, that so, sounds like the stuff I teach.
1: Okay, I, yeah, there you go. Okay. So then at that point, if they're like, yeah, that sounds great. Then I send them home with a booklet and I say, here's a bottle of wine. You and her husband are going to Get have it
0: hire me. <laughs> Yeah. And have a date night.
1: You're going to light some candles and you guys are going to go through this together. And I've had so many couples say that was actually really fun because we've never intentionally sat down and talked
0: about this stuff. You know, pause a second. This, this is this getting them drunk strategy is very, (laughs) I Um, I like it. I like it. But is that what they're going through? All the stuff that you taught them you have in a packet. So you're not even actually doing it with them. Like it's not taking you the time. Well, I'm verbally telling them, this is what we're going to go through in
1: that first meeting. Second meeting, yes, I give them the packet that's like, here's basics of what we talked about. And then this is where you're going to fill out. This is, you know, these are our goals. This is how we want to have control, competence, connection, context, all of that thing. So they're doing that on their own. And what's so cool is that then when they bring that back, A, I know that they're serious about wanting to do this because if they don't bring it back or they're not willing to do it, then those aren't your sticky clients you're going to retain. And, B, then that's when you enter in that really deep relationship with them and talk through this and say, okay, let's connect this to your goals, which we're going to connect to your investment portfolio. And then it all starts to come together. Everything is aligned, not just their finances, but their entire life strategy, their goals, their purpose.
0: I love it. This is awesome. Okay. This is great. I have another question because you're a math and actuarial. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not that actuarial person what are your conversion rates and what are your like referral rates? Do you know those numbers since you're a numbers person? Yeah,
1: pretty much this is gonna sound obnoxious but if a client refers one of their yeah. friends well, then, yeah, tie. the Closing rate, yeah conversion. what did you say like the close rate conversion. is very high because their friends have talked me up right. a lot. Of course, of course. And I've even had client. I've even had prospects call and say, I don't really think you need me. I think that you need more of, you know, I think that you can do this on your own, you know, like here are my top 10 list of top 10 things you just need to knock out and you'll be fine. And those people still are like, no, where do we sign? We right. want to work with you.
0: So, Those people are sold. I always tell my advisors, they think they're good at sales and sounds like you're great at it, but they think they're good at it because they close 80 to 90% of referrals. But I'm like, yeah, it's because you're great at what you do and they're already sold when they come to you. So exactly. that kind of you're already sold, already sold. So then as far as
1: referrals, So what's really great about that is I do video market commentaries whenever I'm featured in Forbes or something, then I send that through social media, send it to my clients. And then they, without even my prompting, they forward that to their friends because they find that either a valuable information or they just want to brag about me. (laughs) So I have clients that email me back and they're like, can I share this? Can I post this somewhere? Let me think about that. Yes. Yeah, I think so. I, I guess. You know, so that's where the referrals really kick in because they're sharing that content. It's a lot easier for them to share content than for them to sit around the Thanksgiving table and saying, hey, let me tell you about Victoria Bogner. You know, it's a lot easier to share. Hey, my advisor just, you know, shared these top five tips to, you know, not mess up your investment portfolio.
0: (laughs) There's a whole, I mean, whole other podcast on that, like around personal branding and actually giving good content and valuable stuff and not just using like pre-approved materials. I used to do a webinar uh, five years ago and my number one, like the number one thing you must know is stop using pre-approved materials. Like that's like not your marketing and they're, oh, but we can't, you can, it's just a pain in the butt. But you can actually get your stuff approved. But that's a whole other story. So this was amazing. I, I want to give you something that you might like, okay? And, sure. and everybody else listening will like as well. But I'll give you a little bit of context. And then we'll give everybody who, who listens, they can do, a, I'll give them a little freebie and you can as well, because I know you got a really cool freebie. So stick around for a few more minutes. We're going a little long because this is so good. But one of the things I talk about is, there's this, have you ever heard of this pyramid Is Chet Holmes? He talks about how 3% are buyers and 7% are open to it. aren't thinking about it. 30% don't think they're interested 30% know they're not interested. Have you ever heard Mm -hmm. about that? Okay. Well, I think typically like the industry is targeting the 3% who are buyers. So even if, you know, you, I think it's, a you know, obviously you're, you're getting to at least the 7% because if you have your clients thinking very highly of you, actually, you might be getting to even more because they're like, Oh, she was on Forbes. Check this out. Here's some five tips. And they're sending it. So maybe their friends who weren't even interested or didn't think they were interested might respond to that. So that's one way to actually get to people outside of just that 3% of the pyramid. I like to geek out on like the 67% because I think that's typically missed in the industry. So one of the things I've talked about in the past is how um, when people are looking for referrals, like they'll ask, like, so someone will come to your client and say, Hey, do you know a financial advisor? They're like, of course, Victoria, she's like, she's the bomb. She's the best. Like go to her. What about all those people who aren't necessarily looking in the other, you know, 7% and the other 30%. So I like to just use one little word. There's a whole strategy behind it is instead of asking your clients for referrals, ask for introductions. And mm-hmm. I have a little template on that. It's called the appointment generator. And I'll, I'll give that to you guys. You can go to femalefinancialadvisors.com forward slash tag the appointment generator, T-A-G, as in the appointment generator. But it's a way, it's actually a script to walk through. And you would love this, Victoria, because you would talk to your clients, you basically compliment them, you tell them how much you love them. And then you ask like, what's been most valuable for you? And they start telling you about those things. And then you have all this mission-based language about you helping people and the specific person you want to help, which gets into some target marketing. But then ultimately ask them, would you be willing to introduce me, not refer, even via email. Cause obviously I don't want to cold call them. That would be ridiculous. But would you introduce me via email? And it goes on and on like that. And then it, you get so many more people to introduce you because it's not like this, like heavy thing. Like most people only refer people they know are interested. Mm-hmm. And so, especially if you don't have all this prestige like Victoria does and you don't have, you know, wall street journal yet until you go and help a reporter out, you can use this introduction template. So again, you can go to female advisors.com forward slash tag and then Victoria, you can find, what's the best way to find you and tell them your cool free giveaway because this is like even cooler maybe than mine because you're willing to give it your time. I'm super excited to see yours.
1: That sounds awesome. Uh, if you go to affinityfinancialadvisors.com or you can just shoot me an email at victoria at What I'd love to do, I'm a CFA. I've been managing money for 15 years. I manage all of the assets of our advisors under our platform. So if you'd like to know, hey, what is the best method you've found to manage money? What are your tips and tricks to finding the right allocations, the right balances for clients, getting the most reward for the amount of risk that you're taking, and then how to talk to clients about their portfolio allocations, I'm giving away a free one-hour consultation with me. I'll tell you everything that I know and help you to avoid some mountains that I walked around so you don't have to walk around them
0: too. So I'm already signing up for that, by the way. Can I do this <laughs> Even though I'm no longer an advisor, can, will you still give me one of the, because I'm curious. Do another podcast on it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might want to dissect like my whole, you know, financial situation and then tell me some cool tips, but I like that stuff a lot. Now I, I like the game of growing money. So that's fun. Well, thank you so much. This was fun. It was extremely valuable and hopefully a little entertaining even. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for joining me, Victoria, and then all of you for joining us. And we will see, Next time on the Growing Your Financial Business, The Woman's Way podcast.
1: This podcast is a part of the C Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.